got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Luke 24. We'll start there. We're going to look at a lot of passages this morning. So Luke 24 is where we're going to begin. Luke 24, verse 49. And uh, we've been talking about the ascension, Jesus going up to be exalted. We have a couple questions that we've been asking at the beginning, and we won't take time to go deep into these. If you want to bring those up, Chris. Where did Jesus go in the ascension? Where did he go? He went back home to glory. What did Jesus do in his glorification? The first thing he did, we learned last week, he sat down. But this morning, we want to ask another question, and it's this. What did Jesus do after he sat down? So, last week we talked about his session, his seating, seated at the right hand. So what'd you do? You're enthroned there as king. He sent the spirit that the father had promised. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. He sent the spirit that the father had promised. So we've been talking about Christ's exaltation, okay, after his humiliation. So after he was uh, crucified, after he was buried... He resurrected. And a lot of times we just, okay, there you go, Easter, let's move on. But having been resurrected, there came the ascension. And then the ascension, he goes up to heaven and he's glorified, the glorification. And then in his glorified human resurrected body, he sits in the session, the seated at the right hand. And now we're looking at the provision of the Spirit, which theologians sometimes call the procession, the sending forth of the Spirit. So that's where we are in our study. Now, two things. I want to show you that in the two historical passages about Jesus' ascension, the promise of the Spirit is emphasized. So notice in your notes, the ascension and the promised provision of the Spirit. So I'm just trying to tie together our whole series up to this point. So the two historical counts of the ascension reveal that the promised provision of the Spirit is a vital part. So you're right there in Luke 24, 49. Here's the resurrected Jesus saying this, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from where? From where? What's the verse say? From on high. I must ascend. I must go up for the Spirit to come down. Turn your Bibles to Acts 1-4. So we, that's the end of Luke. The second part of Luke's story or volume, second volume of his historical record, Acts 1-4. And Acts 1-4 says this. He brings it right up, picks up right where Luke left off. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had what? Promised. What he had promised, um, that what the Father has promised, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay? And then drop down to verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the epochs which the Father is fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know when the kingdom will come. But look at verse 8. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, even the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up. While they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So, the ascension was promised. The ascension, in the ascension, the promise of the Spirit was made. Look at the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, let's, let's look at the day of Pentecost and the fulfillment of the promise. So, ten days later, ten days later, the promise is fulfilled. He ascends... 40 days after the resurrection, 10 days later after the ascension, the promise is fulfilled. Look in your Bibles at Acts 2.1. Acts 2.1 through 4 gives us the experience 
of the Spirit being poured out. Look at Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, just as Jesus had told them. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like the violent rushing of the wind. The Spirit, in Hebrew, is ruach, which is the same word for breath and wind. And it's, it, 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 it's, it represents the Holy Spirit. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one. Each individual believer is now going to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues, literally other foreign languages unknown to them, but miraculously enabled by the Spirit. In a sense, the Great Commission is beginning to be fulfilled. They're speaking in all the languages of the world and proclaiming the praises of God as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's the experience. Now drop down to verse 32 and hear the explanation. Drop down to Acts chapter 2, verse 32, and we get Peter preaching the explanation of the experience of receiving the Spirit. Notice verse 32. This Jesus, the God-man, fully man, fully God, God raised him up again, there's the resurrection, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted, there's the exaltation, to the right hand of God, there's the session that we uh, studied last week. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this which you both see and hear. You're, you saw the rushing wind, you saw the fire reflames, and you're hearing the praises of God in the known languages from all around the world. And then he says this, he ties it to Psalm 110. For it was not David who ascended, there's the ascension, into heaven. But he himself says, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Last week we said, how long does Jesus sit at the right hand of the Father? Until all his enemies are conquered at the end of the age. But notice verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, this one who was crucified, resurrected, exalted, ascended, seated at the right hand, pouring out the Spirit. This one, know for certain, has made him both Lord and Christ. Christ, the promised Messiah, King of Israel, Lord the sovereign over the entire universe. Whom this Jesus, the human man, who is now the exalted God, both God and man, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Israel, you have rejected the promised Messiah. And in your rejection, you're going to miss out on the pouring out of his spirit. You're going to miss out on his kingdom if you do not repent and receive him this day. Now, did you bring your thimble? We're going to dip into the ocean of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to just get a little thimble full of what it means, okay? So well, here's what I'm going to do. Like in 2006, I taught an eight-week, 18-week series on the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that. We're doing the thimble. Okay, we're a little thimbleful. And here's what I want you to see. We're going to see the Father's promise of the Spirit in the Old Covenant. We're going to see the Son's provision in the New Covenant. And we're going to see the Spirit's purpose in the new creation. So that's our lesson today. Let's go. Three stages in sending of the Holy Spirit. Three stages. We're just going to move through the whole Bible Today. So I hope you have your Bibles, have them open, let's go. The Father's promise in the Old Covenant. The Spirit is all the way back in the Old Covenant, okay? The Father's promise in the Old Covenant. So let's begin in eternity past, and the first thing I want you to see is Trinitarian distinctions. Trinitarian distinctions. 
We have one God in three persons, who was, who is, and who is to come. I hesitate to put this point in, but I wanted to, because I want you to understand, the sending of the Spirit in history has taken place for all eternity within the Godhead. Okay, is your theological mind blown? But this is important. So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that God the Father, and it's in your notes, God the Father is the eternally unbegotten one. His person. He is eternally unbegotten. He is the Father. And that's who he eternally always is, always was, and always will be. The Son is eternally the begotten one. That's why he's the Son. He is begotten, but he's eternally begotten. He was, he is, he will always be. God the Spirit is the eternally sent one. And theologians call that the procession of the Spirit, the sending forth of the Spirit. But that happened in history, but it was eternally true in the Godhead at all times. Now, I've told you just about all that I know about this point. I just want you to see that the sending of the Spirit is an eternal reality that also happens historically, just as the Son is the eternally begotten one, and yet He becomes the incarnate Son in the incarnation. All I want you to see is that the sending of the Spirit is even older than creation. It's even older than the Old Covenant. It's rooted in the very being of God. The promise always was because the triune God always is. Second point, I want you to see Moses' desire. Moses, the prophet of the Old Covenant, even way back in the book of Numbers, had a desire for Yahweh to pour out his spirit on each of his people to prophesy. So if, if, if you want to turn to Numbers 11.29, uh, Numbers 11.29, and let me tell you the story very quickly, and it's simply this. Moses is leading approximately a, over a million, nearly two million people, and he's overwhelmed leading them as the prophet of God. And so God, in his wisdom, says to Moses, get 70 Godly men, godly elders, gather them with yourself, come to the tent of meeting, and I will take a portion of the Spirit's anointing from you and place it on these 70 men so they will be spiritually anointed leaders to help you with the burden of leading Israel. So the 70 go, except two of them, and there's always two, or there's always some in a group, they don't go to the tent of meeting. They just stay in the, uh, with the rest of the congregation. And that was okay with God. So when the Spirit comes, in, uh, comes upon these 70 elders, two of them are in the congregation. The other, what is that, 68, are with Moses at the tent of meeting. And when the Spirit comes upon them, they prophesy. And they just do it one time. And when we think of prophecy, we think of predictions and all these profound predictions. Prophesying is simply praising. They're just they're 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 filled with the spirit to praise God. And Joshua says, "Hey, there's two dudes that didn't come with us, and they're in the congregation praising God." And Moses says, "Joshua, chill out. I know you're very concerned about my." my leadership, you know, but here's what he says in Numbers eleven twenty nine. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Why is that important? I'm just saying that Moses longed for a day not just when he was anointed with the Spirit, not when he just had a close relationship with God via the presence of God, but when all God's people would be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that cool? Sometimes we forget that these things are in the Bible. So let me tell you three points about the, pro- the Spirit's working in the Old Testament. Number one, the Spirit was among the nation of Israel, but not in each of them. 
Old Testament believers did not have a permanent indwelling of the Spirit. Number two, the Spirit came upon some, not all, some to be anointed as as judges, prophets, priests, and kings. So basically, in the Old Testament, not only did not everyone have the indwelling Spirit, but in the Old Testament... Basically, it was judges, prophets, priests, and kings. The Spirit would have come upon them in order to be mediators, representatives, and have that unique presence of God and power of God. Third, the Spirit could depart those who fell away. Saul was anointed king with oil, but also with the Holy Spirit. But when he apostatized and fell away from God in his rebellious heart, the spirit was taken from him. Or think in terms of David. David sinned willfully. What are the two big sins that David committed willfully? Adultery and murder, right? And he knew that he did that intentionally and he covered them up and he had a rebellious heart towards the Lord. And when he finally confessed his sin and repented, in Psalm 51, he says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, but listen, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What he's saying is, don't take the anointing from me like you did from Saul. So, if you're a New Testament believer here this morning... Don't ever pray that. That's an Old Testament fear and reality that the Spirit may be taken from me due to my willfulness. Now, the rest of it we ought to pray when we sin, creating me a, you know, a clean heart and a willing spirit. So, what I want you to see here is the promise of the sending of the Spirit is older than the New Covenant. It's longed for in the Old Covenant. Second, uh, third point is this, Israel's disobedience. Israel's disobedience was such that the people had hard hearts that refused to fulfill the old covenant. They entered into this covenant with God where God said, I will be your God. You will be my people, but you need to keep my covenant. You need to realize I'm God, you're not. You need to live by faith and obedience, and they failed. Now, if you ever read through the Old Testament, that's basically the story of the Old Testament from Abraham on. Upstairs, we're hearing the series of Abraham. Abraham, believer, by faith, and yet he fails. Okay? So the nation as a whole fails, and they're hard-hearted. But, thank God, though Israel was disobedient, The father remained devoted. And that's the next point. The father's devotion. He remains loyal. He remains devoted to his people and to his covenant he made with Abraham. The father's devotion. Yahweh's loyal love promised a new covenant for a new start with a new heart. So here's God. Abraham, Jacob... Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Judah, David, let's enter into a covenant. And I'm going to be God, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to love you loyally, and you're going to love me back, and yet you're doing a lousy job of it. (laughs) You have failed horribly to it. And therefore, the covenant consequences are coming down on you. But I have a loyal love to you, so I'm going to make a new covenant. You broke the old one. I'm going to make a new one. And in the new one, I promise a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, to give you a new heart of obedience for a new start and new life with me living right in your presence. All the promises that were made in the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled for you as a nation. So that's what happens. Now, the next thing you want to see, well, and what's involved with that new covenant? Israel would repent. They would have to repent of breaking the old one. Israel would be regenerated as a nation. New spirit, new heart. 
Israel would be restored as a nation because they're repenting, because they're becoming obedient. They're going to be restored as a nation, regathered. They're scattered in judgment now. They're going to be regathered. And the Gentiles would be reached, which was the point of Israel all along. Right? We're studying upstairs. The Abrahamic covenant, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, when they're in disobedience, they, they ain't a blessing to themselves, much less to the Gentiles. But now, now that you've been restored as a nation, now you will reach the Gentiles. The kingdom will come. Now, turn to Jeremiah 31 so you know I'm not making this up. Turn to Jeremiah 31. We're going to read a couple passages about the new covenant. And I just want, I, I want you to see it. Now look at it in the scriptures, okay? Jeremiah 31, and let's look at 31 through 34. Man, these are some of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible. What a God. What a gracious God. Notice what he says. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, the promise keeper, when I will make, and what's he say? I will make a what? A new covenant with the ho- with who? The house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Why? Because at this time in history, they're a divided nation. And he's saying, hey, no, I'm, I'm going to bring you back. So notice what he says. Not like the covenant which I made with your fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Not the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. Loyal lover. God is a loyal lover to you. In spite of our disobedience. Declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. So instead of writing it in stone like with Moses, he's going to write it on their hearts. So they'll obey it. They'll desire it. I will write it on their heart and I will write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. The promises will all be fulfilled. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, you need to know him. In other words, evangelism won't be necessary, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, not just the prophets, not just the priests, not just the kings, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will be remember no more. These are the promises. These are the promises. Turn to Ezekiel 36, another classic passage. Ezekiel 36. We're going to look at 36, verse 22. So turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 36, 22. Another classic passage from another major prophet, Ezekiel. So look at Ezekiel 36, 22. Start, sounds almost like Jeremiah. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Sovereign Lord, Yahweh, God, all caps. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. So what he's saying is, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, not because you deserve it, because you don't. You profaned my name among the nations you were supposed to reach. But I don't let my, I, I don't let my name permanently be profaned. I'm going to make this new covenant. And so he says, which you have profaned among the nations, verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, promise keeper, declares the Lord God, sovereign, redeemer, Lord God. When I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Now here it comes. For I will take you from the nations, 
gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. What land is that? What's the land? The promised land. The promised land, right? In Jerusalem, the promised land. I'm going to take you to that land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I'm going to take you there from all the lands, bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a what? A new heart and put in you a new what? A spirit within you and I will remove the heart of what? Stone from your flesh and give you a heart of what? Flesh, softness, tenderness to the Lord. And I will put my what? My spirit within you and cause you to... Walk in my statutes. You will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the what? The land that I gave your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. Has any of that happened for Israel yet? No. No, that has not. That is a promise of the new covenant. All right. One more place. Go to Joel 2. This might be a little harder to find. Go to Joel 2, one of the minor prophets. Joel, yeah, Dan. (laughs) Go to Joel 2. And we're going to look at verse 28. Joel 2, verse 28. So this time is called our discovery hour. So you, you discover like where books in the Bible are that you may are not that familiar with. Let's look at Joel chapter two, verse 28. Are you there? Okay. It will come about after this, that I will pour out what my spirit, not just on Israel, but on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions even on male and female servants. So men and women, High, low, great, mighty, lowly, everyone's going to get the Spirit. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Whoa, that's end time stuff. Okay. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So here's what I want you to see. Out of all that, quick overview, Yahweh promises a new covenant to the nation of Israel. And that new covenant involves the new spirit, the Holy Spirit, that gives a new heart for a new start. And with it, they repent and are forgiven in order to become obedient in God's presence to reach the nations. That's the new covenant promise. That's the promise of the Spirit. That's God's promise. But how in the world is hard-hearted Israel ever going to repent? And you know what the answer is? They won't. God himself is going to have to come and send his Messiah to do what Israel cannot do for itself. And so that's the final point here, the Messiah's dedication. Okay, I'm way down here on the screen. The Messiah's dedication. The Messiah comes as the suffering servant to pay for not only Israel's sins, but all sins of mankind and he comes in humiliation so that he's exalted then as the sovereign savior of not only Israel but of all the nations of the world it all depends on the coming of Messiah who is not only a son of David he's going to be the son of God And he's going to come and pay for the sins of Israel as well as the nations. And he's going to be exalted because he's sinless. And he fulfills the covenants. And he's going to be exalted. And when he's exalted, he's going to pour out that spirit. But who is this Messiah? 
When is he going to come? Enter Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? Let's look at the second point. The son's provision of the new covenant. We've seen the father's promise, but it's going to take the son to provide it. All right? A couple points here that we're going to move quickly through. The father sends his son as his spirit-anointed prophet, priest, and king. As great as Moses was, Moses had anger issues. And his sinful anger kept him out of the promised land. He sends his son as, the, as a priest, as the high priest. Better than Aaron and his sons, who they were also sinners and fell short. And he will send him as king, who is greater than David. Because we've already accounted, as great as David was, a man after God's own heart. He still fell short, didn't he? And every one of his sons after him. All right? And here comes the son of Adam, the son of David, who is the son of God, and he's better than them all, for he is sinless. And what does he do? Next point. The God-man trusts and obeys where Adam rebelled, and he fulfills the old covenant where Israel refused. Jesus does what Adam rebelled and refused to do in the garden. He's perfectly obedient, but he also represents Israel and he keeps the covenant. Israel goes into the wilderness and sins. Jesus goes in the wilderness, is tempted by the devil, and he is sinless. So the God man trusts and obeys and he fulfills. Third point. The God-man establishes the new covenant on the cross with his blood. He takes his sinless life and he offers it up in the crucifixion. And on the night before his crucifixion, he says to his disciples, This is my body. This bread is my body broken for you. This cup, if you drink it, This cup is my blood poured out for you. He's predicting his crucifixion. And on the crucifixion, he sheds his blood as the sacrifice for the new covenant in my blood. And so on the cross, the new covenant is cut. And it's cut in the body and with the blood poured out of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. Isn't this beautiful? How it all fits. And then what happens? The God-man is exalted. Because Because he has come and he's done what Adam failed to do, what Israel refused to do. Because he has lived a sinless life and then offers it as a substitute and a sacrifice. He is exalted in his resurrection, his ascension, his glorification, his session. And he is both. Christ and Lord. In this, he has fulfilled prophet, priest, and king. And so here's the next point. The father and his seated son send the Holy Spirit. The new covenant's been cut. He's been humiliated to the depths in crucifixion and burial. But then he has been exalted in in resurrection, glorification, seated at the right hand. And now because the new covenant has been established in his blood, he gets to pour out the spirit upon all, all who call on the name of the Lord. So. Look at Acts 2 again. Turn back to Acts 2. Acts 2.14. This is, again, Peter's explanation. Peter's explaining on the day of Pentecost why the Spirit has come. So look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what it says. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea! And all you who live in Jerusalem, he's speaking to ethnic nation of Israel. Let this be known to you and give heed to my words. 
For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. This is the fulfilling, the beginning of the fulfillment of the new covenant. And it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, that praising God by the spirit. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He's quoting Joel 2, even on bond slaves, men and women. I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy, praising God. For what he is doing. And I will grant wonders in the sky. And he talks about all the, the future wonders. And the final coming. But notice those things didn't take place that day. This is only a partial fulfillment. And then he says in verse 32. This Jesus. This Jesus is Lord and Christ. The new covenants being fulfilled. Not all of it. But it's beginning. And you can get in on it. And so the emphasis is the new covenant blessings are being given to Jew and Gentile in the local church. In the church. And Israel as a nation is still in rebellion. So the new covenant has come. Yet Israel's rebelled. How is that? Because Jesus has fulfilled it. And now anybody who believes in Jesus, is connected to Jesus and receives what from Jesus? The promise of the Spirit. Is it? That's, that's an overview. That's a lot. But does it make sense? All right. So what have we seen? The Father promised it in the Old Covenant. Jesus provided it in the New Covenant. Now let's look at really what we're here to talk about today. Are you ready? All that's background. The Spirit's purpose in the new creation. In the new covenant comes the new creation. Now, what's the Spirit's purpose? Now, I already told you I spent 18 weeks teaching on that. I, I mean, everything the Spirit does, that's His purpose for coming. But in this series... I thought, how do, how do we summarize this? How, what's the best way to do it? Well, I'm going to draw on last week's lesson. Jesus is sit, seated at the right hand, right, of God. And last week, and it's online at Glenwood, we are lifebridge.com, not Glenwood, we are lifebridge.com. Juanita's getting me thinking about the old days. Um, last week, we said that the right hand of God is a place of presence, a place of power, a place of privilege, and a place of pleasure. Now, here's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He takes that place in heaven and makes it a reality in your heart today by the Spirit. So that place of presence, it becomes yours through the Holy Spirit. That place of power, that power becomes yours through the Holy Spirit. That place of privilege to represent the Father, it becomes yours by the Holy Spirit as a local church and as an individual. And that place of pleasure, can you imagine seated at the right hand of the Father, the joys and the pleasures, they become yours through the Holy Spirit. The Father is up there. We, as his people, are down here. What makes that connection? The Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at it. Let's look at it. First thing, the Spirit is the presence of the ascended Christ to believers. He is the presence of the ascended Christ to believers. The Spirit gives us access to that relationship that the Son has with the Father in heaven becomes yours on earth when you believe in Christ and the Spirit comes. The Spirit makes your election effectual through the conviction, the calling, the justification, the sanctification, and your ultimate glorification. The sending of the Spirit brings the greatest blessing 
of the new covenant into your life as a believer. And what is the greatest blessing of the new covenant? It was the coming of the Spirit. It was the new Spirit that makes a new heart for a new start in being an obedient Christ follower. That's what he brings. He brings that access of relationship. God's up there. We're down here. How can I have a relationship? Through Christ, yes. Faith in Christ. But that Christ then gives you the promise of the Spirit and makes His presence real in your life. But it's now not yet. The Spirit's on earth, but Christ is still in heaven. When are we all going to get together? When the kingdom comes and Christ returns. Gentiles are being converted, but Israel is still scattered. Everything's not being fulfilled yet. But any Jew, any Gentile can receive the new covenant blessing if you'll just repent this morning and place your faith in the ascended Christ. Can I get an amen? That's good stuff. Number two, number two. The Spirit is the power of Christ for believers. He's the power of That resurrection power where Christ is ascended, guess what? That resurrection power can be in your life. It can be in your life. It can be in your life. Anybody here struggle with selfishness? Don't raise your hand. Well, we can all raise our hands. Yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. Anybody struggling with selfishness here? Or lying if you don't have your hand raised. There's only one power that can enable you to overcome selfishness, and that's the Holy Spirit. Anybody have a, now don't raise your hand on this one. Anyone have a a secret sin struggle? Anybody have a besetting sin? Actually, we could all raise our hands. You're never going to conquer it. You've tried everything. You've done New Year's Eve resolutions. You've promised God. This, that, and the other thing. And you've fallen flat on your face, just as I've had. Why? Because there's only one power to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit power. You realize you have Satan, an enemy, who is a lion, who is prowling. We have a cat in the neighborhood that we've half adopted, keeping it out of the house, but providing milk. It's amazing to watch that cat prowl. After moles. And I'm like, go, kitty, go. Get those moles. You have an enemy just like that. Sneaky. He's Satan. He's stronger than you. Older than you. Smarter than you. And you'll never defeat him. But the Holy Spirit does. And that power is yours through the new covenant in Christ's blood by the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep moving. But, oh, but there's a now not yet to that power. The power has come individually, but has the power of God conquered the whole earth? No. Joel 2 is only halfway fulfilled. The sky hasn't turned dark. The sun hasn't turned to blood. The king has not yet come to conquer this world. Now not yet. Number three. The Spirit is the privilege of the ascended Christ. He's the privilege of the ascended Christ. We said that there's a representation at the right hand. The Son represents the Father. Guess what? The Spirit comes and it gives you the privilege of being a new creation. And you get to represent the new creation to this old creation. But not only that, every new creation becomes a part of the new community, and it's called the local church. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 to see this new community. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. I'm so glad you all are here this morning because the new covenant's not an individual thing. It's not only an individual thing. It's a community thing. And every new creation should be members in a new community local church. 
and that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, oh my gosh, we've crucified our Messiah. They were pierced to the heart, and Peter said, and the rest of the apostles, brethren, they said to the apostles, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. New covenant. And you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. New covenant. For the promises for you and your children, and not just you as Jewish people, but for all who are far off. It's for those Gentiles that Richard Lewis is being sent to. It is for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many words they solemnly testified, and they kept exhorting, be saved. Verse 41 So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and on that day were added 3,000 souls. Added to what? A country club? The why? No, added to the church. The birth of the New Testament church in the New Covenant. And you read on through. There it is. They are to be representatives. You get to be a prophet and speak the truth. Not not condemning people praising god you get to be a priest offering up sacrifices of praise and prayer not animals but praise that christ has done it all you get to be heralds of the king and say the king has come but he's coming again that's what we get to do and we do it in the power of the holy spirit finally oh but there's a now and not yet to it look at it the church enjoys the new covenant spiritual blessings but not all the physical ones are yet. But we're not Israel. The church is in Israel. Israel's still in disobedience. There's a future for Israel. And when they repent, they'll receive all the promises. The king will come. The kingdom will come. And the new creation will be ushered in. Finally, the spirit is the pleasure of the ascended Christ. The Spirit is the pleasure. And here's what we said. At the right hand of God are the pleasures of God. And the Holy Spirit brings to our lives the pleasures of walking within the Spirit. He brings the pleasures of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the first three fruits? Love. Joy, peace, pleasures, right? And we get the pleasure of serving with the gifts of the Spirit. This is the joy of the Lord, folks. And yet, there's a now, not yet reality. The Spirit is just the down payment. Listen, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, The Spirit is the down payment. And the down payment says, God's saying to you, I own you, but the best is yet to come. You're my child, but the kingdom has not come. The spirit is here, but Christ is not yet here. The kingdom hasn't, the best is yet to come. And you know what we're waiting for? What's the typical answer we think? Well, we're waiting for Christ to come. But you know what else we're waiting for as Gentiles? For the nation of Israel to repent. Because in their repentance will come the kingdom and the new creation. You say, Chris, are you sure that's in the Bible? Yep. Romans 11. Romans 11, 11 through 12 says this. Listen to this and we'll, we'll end on this. Paul saying regarding Israel. I say then, they, Israel as a nation... Did not stumble so as to fall, did they? In other words, they're disobedient, but they're, they're down, but they're not down for the count. Okay, they're not down and out, they're just down. They didn't stumble so as to fall, did they? May it, and then he says his famous, may it never be, God forbid, that Israel is permanently set aside. But their transgression... But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. 
look to your neighbor and say, unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. Okay, maybe you're Jewish here. Okay, because they disobeyed, you as Gentiles get in on the goodness of the new covenant. And then he says this, and he did it to make Israel jealous. And then he says this, now if their transgression is riches for the world, Christianity, and their failure is riches for Gentiles, how much more will be their fulfillment? Okay, so Israel is disobedient and being judged, and that brought salvation to the world. Just think when they repent, what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. The old creation's going to fall away. The new creation will come. All the promise will be fulfilled, not just in heaven, but your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the application. Do you know him? And has he sent the spirit into your heart? Many of you, I would say, you know that. that you're, it's by faith alone in Christ alone. But let me ask you, are you walking in the joy of the spirit? And do you have, is your new heart manifesting itself in a new lifestyle? Yeah, but Chris, I feel, I, I, I do too. But the Spirit picks us up, convicts us, enables us to be honest with God and others about our sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and then empowers us to get right back into living for God. We've got a great God, folks. And the new covenant is a huge blessing. And it's all because he's ascended and he sent the spirit. We haven't even touched the hem of the garment of the ascension. Come back next week and we'll look at the intercession of our high priest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings. Thank you for your word that explains history and in explaining history it explains my mixed up confused life and hard heart and stubborn heart and yet you have changed my heart and I pray that you would change hearts even now today and Lord I pray that those of us with new hearts by the power of the spirit and the power of your ascended son we would live it this week. We would live it this afternoon. We would live it in the workplace. We would live it painting walls in a school. We would live it teaching. We would live it homemaking. doesn't matter what we're doing. May we live it because you're in us, with us, and among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. 